Samuel. First Samuel, we're starting we're right around chapter 7 or so. Well, actually, we'll be jumping around. Probably chapter 2 is the first one. I was reading an account about an internationally well-known preacher who was out in the West Coast early in his career, and he was holding meetings in a small town out in California. And as he was there holding meetings in a large church right downtown, he decided that what he wanted to do was to get out one day and walk around the town and then mail some letters that he had in his hand. Those were the days you still mailed letters. And so he started walking down the street, and after he walked around this area for a while, he thought, oh, I still got these letters in hand, and I'm not sure where the post office is. So he stopped to ask one little boy that was walking down the street. He said, son, could you tell me where the post office is? Do you know where it is? And the little boy said, yeah, I do. He says, well, could you tell me where it is? He says, yeah, mister, I guess I can if you don't know. And so the little boy went and explained where the post office was just down the street, around this corner, that corner, whatever. And then the man said, son, tonight I'm speaking at such and such a church. It's just down here by the big park. Have, you know, and I'd love to have you come because I'm going to tell people about Jesus and how to get to heaven. Do you want to come and hear me? The little boy looked at him, thought for a moment, said, mister, if you can't even find your way to the post office, how are you going to tell anybody else to get to heaven? Yeah, that little boy just totally discounted that man's ability because he had asked the question about the post office. There are moments that I think you and I feel like we are dis- disqualified, not so qualified to tell people about some of the glorious, magnificent truths of God's Word, especially some areas when we're still working at some things. Who am I to speak about this? Who am I to tell others when I'm still going through this process myself? I feel that way this morning. I appreciate and I'm very thankful that you have come. But this morning, like so many other Sundays, I feel absolutely empty of being able to be able to tell you with experience, with confidence, here's what you need to do because there's so many times I'm working on the same things. This morning's message is much like that because of the area that we're talking about. To set the scene, let's talk about the man that we're going to be focusing on. And jumping through, instead of looking through the passage verse by verse, we're going to take select passages on the life of Samuel. He's the judge we've been talking about the last three, four weeks. He's a great man, tremendous man of God. In fact, if you go through his life story and you start looking, go back to chapter 2, verse 26. We get these little snippets of his life as, as the writer is going through Samuel and giving it. He makes these comments and, and conclusions about, about him from time to time. And it'll be helpful if I get to 1 Samuel, not 2 Samuel. I was wondering why it didn't look good. Excuse me. I'll catch up to you. In, second, in 1 Samuel, it says this. The child Samuel, verse 22 of, uh, 26 or 22 of verse 26 of chapter 2 says this, And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. And then we jump a little bit further in chapter 9. In chapter 9, this is years later, talking about this same person. There is Saul is with his servant, and they can't find the donkeys. And the servant talks about Samuel, who has now grown all these years and decades later. He says, Behold now, there is in this city a man of God who is an honorable man. All that he says comes to pass. We, we have an individual that as a young boy, he's growing up in an environments in the tabernacle area that have been polluted by the other priests, Hophni and Phinehas. We talked about that. How they were corrupting others and they were influencing even their dad Eli. That their dad Eli got caught up in it and was eating the forbidden fat that, got, that the sons were stealing from the people. 
And so Eli, Samuel grows up in that environment, but he doesn't get tainted by it. He keeps himself apart from that corruption, those bribes, that, that uh, abuse of power. When he becomes a, a man in his generations, years, days and weeks and months later, he's an individual who still has the character of righteousness and holiness. He's a great man. Great man because of his personal godliness. He's a great man because God is using him. He's a spokesman for God. We read in chapter 3, verse 1, where it makes the comment that we've looked at when we looked at these texts one by one. But going back now and just spot-checking some of these, we read in chapter 3, verse 1, that the child Samuel ministered before the Lord, before Eli, and the word of God was, in my Bible says, precious. It is the idea of rare. Very rare in those days, and there was no open visions. We jump to the end of the chapter, verse 19. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. Did let none of his words fall to the ground. Go down a little bit further, verse 21. The Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so here's this young man, pleasing to God, that God would use him to be the mouthpiece, a spokesman in an era where there is very little revelation taking place. In fact, he gives the word of God, gives the word of God. And even in chapter 3, when we told the story, remember he goes to his master, he goes to his leader, he goes to the one raising him, Eli, and he says, God has spoken to me, and Eli says, don't hide a word of it. Well, the message is one of saying, Eli has done wrong, I'm going to remove him from the priesthood and replace him, and Samuel tells him the message, though initially he was fearful, though initially he knew it would hurt Eli, and he was sensitive in that way, but he spoke out for God. Great man. Great man speaking the truth. Great man in that he served the people. He was a real minister. In the sense, in chapter 7, we read about this, that remember in the battles with the Philistines, and this explains this verse, in the battle with the Philistines, they lost the ark. And I told you that historically we have record that probably around that same time that the Philistines not only took the ark, but they went into Shiloh, which was where the ark was kept, and they totally wiped out the town of Shiloh. And it remained that way for a long time. There's evidence archaeologically that the Philistines were the ones that destroyed it, and it stayed destroyed for an extended period of time. Well, that had been the place where the ark was stored. And so then what happens is they don't have a tabernacle per se for a period of time, and, he, and Samuel has to minister, but he doesn't have a ministering spot. So what does he do? In, in 1 Samuel 7, verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year in a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. And then he would return to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged, judged Israel and built an altar. So he is trying to make it convenient and easy for the individuals to worship. So he's going and he's meeting with them and trying to train them. So all this period of time, he is ministering to people. And I remind you, the judge wasn't there like the, the guy we have in a black robe. He would go there and he would help them in their worship. That was part of his duties. Part of his duties were he would take care of civil matters. He would deal with them. Part of his duties included at times being a, a consultor to the people. Remember that he even at one point, he is 
is consulted, where are the animals? That's Saul's servant says, let's go and find out, we'll find out from him where to find the lost animals. So he's serving the people at all different levels, from doing the ministry duty of leading in worship to the point of giving them counsel and advice, and he's doing this circuit. Even as he gets older, he's still traveling. He's got a minister's heart. He's a great man because in this sense, when it was legitimate to point out that which was wrong before God, he went and told and told and pointed out to people that which they were doing wrong that offended God. He did it where we looked last week. Where in chapter 7, chapter 12, he tells the people, you, you stop, you're not supposed to be asking for a king. This is offensive to God. But especially when he deals with King Saul. The Saul that comes to the throne with just a short time thereafter. Last week we looked at this in depth where King Saul is told to wait there for, the, for Samuel to come. But after seven days he's not waiting. He's getting antsy to get in the battle. So he says to the people, bring the sacrifice and I'll offer the sacrifice. I don't know where the priest is, so I'll do it because I'm the king. And assumes too much authority. Samuel shows up right afterwards, and Samuel looks at the king, who is the king. And he looks at him and says, what you have done is wrong. That's not the only time. Here a few years pass, and he goes to Samuel a second time and says, Samuel, you're supposed to destroy all of the property of Agag and all of his people that you beat in battle. But Saul kept them. He kept the best part. He kept the best animals. He kept King Agag as a trophy. And when Samuel comes, he says, what's going on here? You were told to wipe this out, to not even leave anything, so you weren't tempted, so the people weren't tempted. And he says to King Saul, he says, your rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So here is a man who is, who is bold enough, um, compassionate enough, to say to somebody who he's trying to help, he's able to say to him, what you have done is wrong before the Lord and is able, by, based on the word of God, to point out that which is wrong. He does it with the people. Don't ask for the king. This guy's a good man. He's a godly man. He's not a pious and arrogant man. In fact, he is one of the most outstanding characters in the Old Testament. There's no other character up to this point in the Jewish history other than Moses that had so much impact spiritually, nationally, and the people of Israel as a whole. In his 40 plus years that he is ministering in up to this point, and then he adds, actually he ministers for almost up to a period of like 60 to 70 years, he is a tremendous influence on the nation, keeping them, trying to get them to maintain a good, straight course. Tremendous individual. Yet, there is one characteristic that shows up time and time again that is one of those characteristics that I glossed over. But in going through his life, paragraph by paragraph, I want to back up and just snippets to say, watch this in his life. How much he talked about. How often he was given to prayer as the father of the nation, as the mother to the people, guiding them, nurturing them, nursing them along spiritually. This man, for all of his greatness... He was a great prayer warrior. He is a good example for you and me. And so we look and say, okay, this is something we need to remind ourselves about. We can preach it every week, and all of us would say, that's an area you've got to grow more in. Well, let's look at it from a practical point of view. What did he do in prayer that we could model, we could mimic, that would improve our prayer life? Can I point out a few things quickly? Let me do it this way. Number one, he prayed personally. 
He prayed personally. Watch how often it comes up in the text. Go to chapter 7 and watch in verse 5 where it says, Samuel said, gather all of Israel to Mizpah. This is one of the 11 times that he gathered the peoples together for a national convention. And he says, I will pray for you unto the Lord. Look down to verse 8. The children of Israel said to Samuel, you, it's very clear in the original language, you, please, you, cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us that he would deliver us out of the hand of the Philistines who were right on the doorstep at that moment. Chapter 8, jump down to verse 6. It says when the people came asking for a king, Samuel was bothered by it. Verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Go to chapter 12. Chapter 12, and see now, this is, we're advancing it to the point where now they are at the inaugural, inaugural ball of Saul be, becoming the king, and they're going to crown him at this point. Go down to verse 19. The people now realize that, wait a minute, We've overstepped. We didn't wait for God's timing on the king. We pushed the matter. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants unto the Lord thy God that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil. They know he's a prayer warrior. They recognize that they ask him to pray. Jump down a little bit into the text, verse 23. His response, Moreover, as for me, this is me, this is Samuel talking, God forbid that I... I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord. He goes on. This individual makes it very clear that he took prayer serious, that he was supposed to do it. Not just we pray. He said, I need to pray. I need to pray. And he prayed on a personal basis. He prayed and in such a way that people knew he was one that they could count on to pray. He's an individual who prayed even though he's a very busy man. Folk, he's got a full-time job. He's taking care of ministering to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people as the pastor of the nation. He's got a lot to do. He's dealing with all kinds of religious issues. He's dealing with all kinds of spiritual issues. He's trying to keep Saul in line. That's a full-time job. He's giving counsel well, what to do with animals. He's got a busy schedule, probably busier than most, most of us put together. He is one who has already done much for the Lord. He has served God by this point that he's talking for decades already, that he's been walking with the Lord, serving the Lord. He's a mature believer, and yet he says, I need to pray. By the way, he's grown up by this point. Do you remember last week that the people come to him and said, we want a king because you're an old man? Remember how old he was at that moment? Anybody remember? He's 45, and the people thought he was an old man. But here he is, he's a mature individual. No one has a reputation as a godly person. And he says, God forbid that I should cease in prayer. When, when does Samuel re think in his mind, I've reached the point in my life, I don't need to pray anymore? He never does. He's not like some of us who think, oh, wait a minute, I don't need to pray anymore, I got this under control. Not Samuel. Not Samuel. Samuel's an individual that says, as I am ministering the word, as I am serving these people, as I have grown in the Lord, as I am pleasing the, before the Lord, which we read several times, that he stood before the Lord and, he, and the Lord was pleased with him, he says, I still need to pray. I still need... Now, it's difficult. It is a difficult task. You and I know that. If we're going to be honest, prayer takes real discipline, real effort. 
We understand that. We understand that to, to consistently put aside that time to pray. There are so many other events that show up all of a sudden. There are little feet, little voices that will call you away from prayer. There is the cell phone calls, the business needs. There is the, the household problems. There are so many distractions that come. And why is it that we are so easily distracted from talking to God? It's It's hard. It's hard. We understand it's hard. But if we understand the cause behind it, if we understand the purpose behind it, it'll make it a whole lot easier for us. You know, there are difficult things that people do. This gentleman, Grant Edwards, who's an Aussie, came to the Delaware uh, Dover Air, uh, Air Base here a couple of years ago, and they were trying to set a world record that he would just be harnessed all by himself to this large plane and pull this plane several feet down the runway. And he set the record. In interviewing him afterwards, you know, by the guy, the guy, the, by the way, the guy is raising money for, as it says, the mental health issues. My first thought was to be critical and like, are you taking the money yourself? Because this has to be a mental health issue to pull a plane. But he didn't do it for that reason. He was above my cynicism. And this gentleman did it, but he's interviewed afterwards, and they asked him, he said, yo, was it hard? He says, oh man, the practice, the effort, the exercise, it was hard, it was hard, it was hard. Even when I first started, I didn't think it was moving at all. I didn't think anything was happening. But my son stood on the sidelines and said, it's starting to budge, it's starting, he said, and there's people standing and saying, it's working. I didn't think it was working, he said. I had no idea it was even moving. I was ready to give up. And they were on the sidelines saying, go for it, go for it. You're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. He said, and when it was all done, all the hard work, all the effort, all the not seeing immediate results in my mind, it paid off. I achieved what I wanted to achieve. You know what? God has laid out a goal for you. God has laid out a cause for you, a cause of prayer, praying for others. And some of you respond, so this is real discipline. This takes a lot of work. Yeah, it's hard. Some of you say, I don't see anything happening right away. But do it. Do it, do it, do it. Pray personally. You say, well, wait, I'll let other people do it. Don't count on other people to do the task that God has given you. Don't assume that their prayers are the only ones that count. God wants to hear from you. And he wants to hear you pray, and he gives you causes like praying for other people. Pray for other people. That's what Samuel did. Well, some of his motivation for praying was the other people. We already read these verses. He says, come here, meet me at this place, and I will pray for you. They say, cease not to pray for us. He says, I won't. They say to him, when they gather at the inauguration of Saul, we already read chapter 12, and he, they say, cease not to pray. He says, God forbid that I would sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. A lot of his prayer was for the people, for the others around him, where he prayed for them. They, they could ask him because they were confident that he would, he would be an individual. He even, he even prayed for people who upset him. Do you remember in chapter 8? Look at the verse again. Chapter 8, verse 6. They have come and said, we want a king, we want a king. Now look at chapter 8, verse 6. It says that the thing displeased Samuel. He was bugged. He was bothered. He was upset with the people when they were asking for something that he found offensive. And yet he continues to pray for those people. He asks the Lord to bless those people, to guide those people, to help those people. He's an, one who, who prayed for individuals, the same people who admit later on, we are spiritually weak. 
We have added to our sins by asking for a king. But he didn't stop praying for them because they were backslidden. He didn't stop praying for them because they weren't like him. He didn't stop praying for them because they did whatever he advised them to do, which they didn't. He prays for those individuals over and over and over again. Again, I'm going to remind you, you do this Bible study yourself. You see if this isn't true. The two individuals in the Old Testament that are recorded more often than anybody else praying for the people that they had charge over is Moses and Samuel. Man, I I can't help but get away from this thought. According to the New Testament, according to the New Testament, my job is twofold. My primary job. The primary job of our pastors in this church is twofold. That is to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Should I ask you? Should I make it pointed? We're supposed to be praying. Gentlemen, staff, does this mo- is this the model that we live by? We're supposed to be praying for lots of people. You and I are told in multiple passages, not just the pastors are to be given to prayer, but the whole congregation. We are told in the New Testament, commanded in the New Testament, to pray for our leadership of our country. Do you? I'm not talking praying against them. (laughs) That's easy. I'm talking praying for them. Praying that they would have wisdom, that they would do right for the opportunity of quiet and peacefulness for the spread of the gospel. We are told this in the Bible. It is a command that he says, and by the way, look at the first words of this text. Uh, First of all, this is one of the first duties of the Christians, of the believers, when we gather together. We're supposed to be praying for those who are our leadership. Do your kids learn that from you? Do they learn from you that we're to be praying for those who are ill, those who are sickly, not just hear it on Sunday morning in the prayer request or read it in the prayer corner, but you're supposed to be praying for others. Teens, that doesn't exclude you from praying for others. This text doesn't say you don't have to pray for others because you're a teenager. No, we are obligated as a body to pray for others. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him anointing. Then he expands it. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and raise him up. And if he has committed sin, if his sickness is due to to illness, then God is going to deal with that, forgive him, and move on. We're to pray for those who are ill. We're to pray for those who minister the word of God. I am obligated by the word of God as duty to pray for you. You are obligated by command from God. Now I beg you, brethren, it says, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in prayers. You're to be praying for us. We are supposed to be praying for those who are away from the Lord. We are told in 1 John that if we see a brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he says, you will ask, and God will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. Don't pray for, for somebody to have punishment of death, but pray for their recovery. Do you do that? Do you pray specifically for some of the things that are mentioned already this morning? That God has commanded us to pray. Let's expand it. God says you're supposed to pray for one another. For each other. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Being watchful unto the end for all the saints. That's our cause. Is prayer difficult? Yes. Does it take work? Yes. Does it take discipline? 
to do the exercise of prayer every day when there's other things. You have a cause, and it's much more than pulling a plane. It is pulling the work of God. It is praying for the pastors. It's praying for one another. Praying for our missionaries. Praying for the congregation. Praying for those who are ill. Praying for those who are, who are unsaved and need to know the Lord. Praying for those who are saved and walked away from the Lord. That's your cause. That's why you're to pray. Samuel understood it. Samuel owned it. Samuel was a great man. Given to prayer. Praying and praying and doing it himself. Not relying on the others to do his prayer part. Not saying, you know, that's somebody else's job. Parents, are you praying for your kids? Are you praying for your grandkids? There, there is such a cause before us that motivates us if, we're, if we have half a brain here today to say, we need to be praying. I need to be praying. It's what he, Samuel's life shows us. He shows us something else about his prayer life. It's habitual. Habitual in this phrase, should I will cease not, or they ask him, cease not to pray for us. God forbid, he says later on, that I would sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. You know what that implies? He already is praying. And he realizes this is something that needs to happen. Not just once in a great while. Not just the first Wednesday of the month. Not just when... You know, you're, you're compelled to do it once on a prayer, national prayer day. But rather, this is to be something done regularly and repeatedly in your life. In my life. Praying. Praying, praying. You know, Samuel, he's one that, he's praying when there's crises. Chapter 7, when the people, he says, come together and I will pray for you, that I already read to you. And when he, the people say, cease not to pray for us, that he would deliver us out of the hands of the Philistines, this is a crisis. They've got an enemy at the gate. They have, they have tragedy ready to trounce upon them. He's praying. He's praying. He's teaching the people. The first thing we need to do is not build fortifications. Not, not gather, you know, uh, arsenal weapons from others. The first thing we need to do is go to God in prayer. That's his first reaction. And the people catch this. They're learning that the first thing we should do when we have crises is to pray. He has a personal crisis. In chapter 8, we looked at this where it says that, that he was displeased and he goes to prayer. Well, if you read the next verses after that where it talks about him being displeased, he has a personal crisis when God speaks to him in chapter 8, verse 7, and God says to Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people in that they say they want a king. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. Samuel took this personal. Samuel has a personal crisis of him being rejected, and he's upset over this that they've rejected God, they've rejected me. And his response is, I need to go to prayer. I need to go to prayer. I need to go to prayer. And so he prays. When, when, when you have a crisis, what have, what, what have your kids learned from you? Have they learned to panic? Have they learned to run to others? Or they learned to run to God? What do others see in your life? Are you given to prayer? Even when there's problems, even when there's, even when there's good days, even when there's bad days. Pray, 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 pray. One offer, one fellow offered this way. I, I love his, what he put together. He says, the needs are so great every day, there's little prayers that we should pray. And he suggests this as an idea for prayer. Okay, it's not one that you have to memorize, but he says, here's the prayer that I start with. He says, dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, been nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. 
Okay. Isn't he saying what life is like? It's a battle. It's a struggle. And so we need to be praying. We need to be going to the Lord. Number four, you need to pray with faith. You need to pray with faith. When we go to pray, prayer, we need to pray with faith. Now let's go to chapter 12. And you may want to mark some of this in your Bible and just put your own little footnotes there to help you to understand the beauty of this and what's explained that you and I would miss because we live in Pennsylvania. We don't understand quite the same thing. Go down to verse 16. Chapter 12, verse 16. Now therefore, he says... So this is the setting. They're crowning Saul as king. But he's saying, okay, you asked for it. You're going to get it. You're going to get a king. But and he's saying, I'm going to give you some warnings. This God has said warnings about you insisting on the king. And it's going to be trouble. And I'm not making this up. I'm not giving you bad advice. This is based on the Lord. Look at verse 16. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. The Lord's going to confirm this. That what you have asked is not a good thing. Is it not the weed harvest today? You may want to put right next to that. That means it's late May or early June. Late May, early June, if it's the wheat harvest. In Israel, at that time, late May, early June, there was no rain. It never rained. When we say it never rained, it never rained. The rains would come before, the rains would come after this, like in the July and August season. This is the arid, dry season. And he says... Is it not the dry season? Is it not the wheat harvest today? I'm going to call unto the Lord, and he's going to send thunder and rain. So, it thundered and rained last night here. We even saw a tornado watch or whatever it was go out. What's the big deal? Because in that place at that time, it didn't rain and thunder during this period of this month. It just never happened. So if he prays and it happens, what's that tell you? Woo, what a coincidence. No, it tells you that Samuel is praying with faith. Believing God will hear him and God will move and do something very abnormal. So it says, I will call unto the Lord. He shall send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great before the Lord, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And the people's response was, oh, it's a coincidence. No, no, what's your Bible say? The people got it. They feared the Lord greatly. They understood this was an act of God. This was a supernatural act of God. You know what Samuel's teaching me? He's teaching me that when he believed this, that God could, God would, and God wanted to answer his prayers. He is under the impression that God, is, God would approve of what he's praying. He is under the impression that he could ask God for something very unusual. And God was able and willing to do it. He's an individual who wanted to make clear to everybody, there's some divine intervention here. And I, God, I need you to work this way. And God answered. And he was positive. He's positive. God's going to answer. He's, he's operating by faith. He's an individual who understands that prayer is believing God can answer. This is Dallas, Texas. A family, guy's in seminary. He's out of seminary, took a little church in that region in, in uh, Dallas. And the family is making do, and they're doing okay, but they don't have a whole lot of anything. And so they have to make sure that they're praying for everything. Well, little Timmy, who's a young boy in the family, he is getting tired of the hand-me-down tattered shirt. He has two of them that are his size, size seven. And he asked mom, dad, can we add to the family prayer list some new shirts for Timmy? 
And they say, okay, we can pray about that. So they add to the family prayer list new shirts for Timmy. And Timmy said, make sure size 7. Okay, size 7. And so they prayed about it. One day, two days, three days, four days. Several days go by. They're in the middle of the next week, and they get a phone call from a friend of theirs who they have met through different ministry. And the friend said, hey, I'm closing out a certain supply of, uh, in my store uh, and includes some clothing. And I have some shirts that I'm getting rid of. I'm going to take them to Goodwill. But I thought maybe if you guys could use them because I think they're about Timmy's size. And they said, well, what size? He says, they're size 7. And I have 12 of them. They're brand new, still in the bag. And they said, yeah, we'll take them. So the family gets together that evening and they have it all prearranged. They have the, you know, they are getting ready to do their prayer together right before the meal. And Timmy says, okay, don't forget to pray for my shirts tonight. As if they would. But they, you know, just, he was reminding them. They said, we're not going to pray anymore for your shirts. He goes, why not? They said, God answered the prayer. And on that cue, his older siblings went in and they brought one at a time. They brought one in and his eyes got bigger. Then they brought another one in. Then they brought another one. His eyes got bigger and bigger and bigger till finally he yells out, wow, God has gotten gotten into the shirt business. Wow. He was so excited. Well, you know what? God has gotten into the business of answering your prayers. We can read text after text that God says, I'm going to answer your prayers. I want to answer your prayers. Call unto me and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things. We read where that idea that if we ask, it's going to be given. We seek, we find, we knock. It's going to be open time and time again. We read the promises of God saying, I want to answer your prayers as long as you're asking them in the name of Jesus. And yes, there are times that the answer might be wait. The answer might be not now. The answer might be no, this isn't what best. But the majority of times God is delighting in answering our prayers if we would pray. If we would go to him and ask him, we need to pray. And the example used in Scripture is another example of faith that we read in James where it talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a mighty man. Do you remember the story? You have Elisha that's in that contest with the prophets of Baal. And after the contest is over, he's praying that the rain would return because the people have revived their spirit. And he's praying for rain, and he sends his servant to the top of the mountain. Go look. Sends him several times. I'm praying for rain. While there's no clouds coming, go look again. There's got to be. I'm praying for rain. He does it several times until he finally sees off in the distance. The cloud, the hand is the size of a hand. And it comes building, building, building into the, into, off the sea and over him. Here's a man praying in faith that God can work even through nature, via nature. Do you pray with faith? Now, there's a group of people that we have to take our hats off to and say, they're some of the greatest prayer warriors that this church has seen, that some of you have seen. It's moms. It's the moms who have prayed. There are so many of us in this room that could say, if it weren't for the prayers of my mother, who have exemplified this idea of praying personally, and probably is because when they looked at us when we were very little, they said, i got to pray. And rightfully so. I can tell you story after story. I was Hudson Taylor, great missionary, He attributes his whole ministry to his mom's prayers. He talks about the time when he was an 18-year-old. He had been rejecting the gospel, not listening to the gospel, putting it off. But one day he goes into his dad's study, and he's just milling around, and he said, I was compelled to pick up off off of his desk a tract, a gospel tract, and read it. And I wanted to put it down, but I couldn't, I couldn't. He says it was an overwhelming compulsion to I fell on my knees and I prayed and asked Christ to be my Savior. He says, I went out afterwards and I found my mother. And I told my mom, he said, Mom, you'll never know what I just did. And she says, you got saved. 
He goes, well, how do you know? She says, I've really been fasting and praying for this. And I uh, very, and by the way, there was a few days in between. I've forgotten the story. There's like a six-day interlude. Mom was gone initially. The day he got saved. And she said, that day was probably on such and such a day that you got saved last week. And he said, how do you know? She says, that day I was praying and fasting for your soul. I told God I'd be praying and fasting for several days. And I was praying and fasting until there was an overwhelming assurance in my heart, a peace, that God has answered the prayer. And he said, years go by, my mom prayed, she prayed, she prayed, she prayed. Lou Nichols talks about the time he was, his mom had shared with him, shared with him, shared with him, but he goes off into the, into the army. He's getting on the battleship to be transported to the European arena. And he says, while they're going, and he's looking around all the soldiers, he's just said, I, I, there was a moment where I had to pray. I just knew that I needed to accept Christ. And he says afterwards that he, when, he's, when he got back, his mom died shortly thereafter, and he was going through her journal. He remembered the day, and he looked in her journal that day. And that day was a day where she was praying and fasting especially for him. And then he said, I started going through the rest of her journal, and I found names of dozens of dozens of people who have since got saved. He says, my mom was a prayer warrior. My mom prayed. There's a fellow who's called, you know, Awful Gardener. It was his nickname. That's the name he chose for himself. He was just a reprobate man. And his mother was a believer. She would talk to him and share with him about how he needed Christ. This is in New York City in the early 1800s. And, and so he just, he became a drunk. He would even take his little boy to the bars with him. And then he would go and visit his mom and she would plead with him, stop your lifestyle. And, and after a while, all she would say is, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. And his little boy was killed tragically in an accident. And he was so distraught, will I ever see my little boy again? One night he was trying to drown his sorrows in the bar. He went outside and he looked up in the stars and he's thinking, my little boy, where's my little boy? Will I ever see him? And he was compelled to go and talk to his mom. He goes to his mom's apartment, finds her praying for him. And he finally succumbs to the Spirit's conviction and he gets saved. As a result of that, he overcomes his battle with the alcohol quickly and he begins rescue missions in New York City and became one of the most famous characters of preaching to the down and outers of New York City because of his mom's prayers. We can stand here. We can talk about our own moms. 1973, middle of May. My mom had just been saved. She got saved on February and January 3rd of that year. She got saved because she was so under conviction and so under such duress that, that the church she was going to, two of the preachers ran off with the nuns that they gotten pregnant. And she had confessed her sin to them just the week before. And she was so, so distraught over how can, how can this be? If these guys are acting that way and they're the way we get to heaven, what about us? It's January 3rd and a guy driving down the road towards past our place, he gets a flat tire. There's only one gas station nearby. It's ours. He pulls in. He starts talking to my dad. My dad says, I want nothing to hear about what you're sharing with me. I'm going to fix your tire. But Pastor Campbell said, well, can I go to the house next door to the gas station and share the gospel, you know, talk with them while you're fixing my tire? My dad said, I don't care who you go talk to. It was our house. Mom was home. 
So he goes, Pastor Campbell goes to that door, he knocks on the door. My, my mom answers the door and hears that he's, he's not of her religious faith. She keeps the door closed. We're not supposed to allow non-Catholics into our house. That was our, we were told. So through the storm door, which is in Minnesota, and you get ice about yay thick on the door, she talked to him for over an hour. She opened up enough to get the tracks, and then the next day she prays to get saved. She prays and prays for the next few weeks for her husband to get saved. He does. She prays for the six of us kids to get saved. And one by one, the Lord picked us off. It's Mother's Day. She is praying for my older brother. He's one of the hardest individuals at this point in our family. And he is, it's, his name is Dave. Some of you know him. He started this church. And she's praying for him and praying for him. He and his wife, Lucy, had just been married the summer before. And they didn't have much. And they, didn't, they came to mom a couple weeks before and they said, Mom, we don't have anything to buy you. We don't have any money to buy you anything for Mother's Day. Is there anything you would want? She said, go to church with me. Is there anything else we can do for you? No, go to church with me. All I'm asking is go to one service with me. Go to Mother's Day church. And she prayed, she prayed, she prayed. They sat, they didn't know any better, so they sat towards the front. And they sat like in this row right here. And it came to the invitation time. Pastor Kittle preached a message, clear gospel message. My mom is praying. Dave and Lucy are right there. Some of us are sitting, they're kind of boxed in. And heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And Pastor Kittle says, if you want to get saved, you're not sure you're going to heaven, come forward and I'll get somebody to talk to you. And my brother just was under such conviction, he got pushed past those of us right there and came here. In the meantime, his wife didn't care what he did, didn't know what he did. She pushed past to go this way. And they both are coming up front, crying, and they look up and they meet each other. And out loud they go, what are you doing here? <laughs> and they say, I came to get saved. You too? Me too. And Pastor Kill's like, yeah, can I interrupt here? Um, yeah. <laughs> I can show you. Why is that? Why did Dave end up in ministry? Why did he end up starting this church? There's one woman I know who prayed. There's a lady I know who prays for you people every day because she knows what you got here, okay, in me. She's praying for your safety. She's praying for your, everything good, okay? She, it's a warning prayer. But she prays for you guys every day. That's the people that we give tribute to this day. We say, man, do your kids, do your kids, moms, do your kids know that you're that type of prayer warrior? That they could go to you? That they could talk to you? Now, here's a man who prayed with desire. Prayed with great desire. I conclude this thought, this idea of desire, because he says, God forbid that I should cease to pray, which indicates to me he desired to pray. He desired to pray. And he's saying, I'm not going to stop. It's something that I, that I do. He had no desire to quit, to cut back. He, he, he wanted to, you know, in his mind, I'm going to pray because anything less than me praying regularly, habitually, is sin against God. Why is that? Because he had such a compassion for other people. He's going to pray for them. Because he had such a sense of duty. He knew it was his job as priest to pray for that congregation. He knew this was his, his obligation. Sense of duty, I'm going to do it. I'm going to imply this from the text. It's something that he enjoyed doing. Otherwise, he wouldn't have kept on doing it. You know, you know how it is? Some of you teens do the laser tag. 
I didn't go with you this week and the last few times you've gone, but I've went in the past to the laser tag. And it's like they go in, they play these laser tag games, they, they shoot, 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 they get done, they come on out, and they see their score, and they run right back to the entrance again. It's kind of like that, that spin, you know, no spin zone. You watch the people, they, they ride on this. I did this a few weeks back with my grandkids. Took them down and said, okay, we're going to go on a Monday morning. Let's go down. Let's go beat each other up on this thing. And so get down there. And it was like we got off the ride and went over there to the exit and went right back to the entrance again. They enjoyed it, okay? I was enjoying them. You know, we did the bounce house in neighborhood night. Some of you who are out there, you know what? They would get through the bounce house and go through that whole thing and they'd run right back and get in line. Why? Because it was fun. It was fun to just redo it again. This guy is calling his girlfriend saying, oh man, I love you so much. I love you so much. You know, I can't wait to hear you, you know, to see you and hearing your voice is so great. This is so wonderful. And she's so thrilled. He loves me so much. She says, well, why don't you come on over this evening? He says, oh, I can't. I just washed the car. I don't want to take it out and get dirty. Okay. <laughs> God, I love you so much, I love you so much, I love you so much, I just don't have time for you. I, I, I just don't have time for you, God, today. I, I'm so busy with everything else, God, but I love you with my whole heart. Really? Really? You and I need to be individuals who are given to prayer. That is one of our hardest jobs, but one of our most fulfilling obligations. So I take it all and put it together and bring myself to this point. What I need to do this day is appreciate those who prayed for me. That includes my mom in particular. To say thank you. Let them know how much we appreciate. Tell dad how much you appreciate. Tell, tell those that you know have prayed for you. Let them know how much you appreciate, how much that means. I walk away challenged to say, pray more. Pray more. Pray more, make this a vital part of my life, my spiritual walk with the Lord. I know this, that if you're here today and you have never started with that prayer that is called the salvation prayer, some call it the sinner's prayer, where you repent of your sins and ask Christ to be your Savior, like my mom did that story I told, and that she prayed for my brother to do, and me to do, and my four other siblings to do, and like so many here in this room have done, this is where you need to start this day. You need to pray and ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, past, present, and future, and to give you eternal life. In fact, we want to make that so easy. Then instead of coming up here and meeting me here, I'm going to ask you to go to that door where our staff is headed for right now. And they're going to wait there for you. And they're going to show you from the Bible, if you meet the back there in a moment when the song is played and the heads are bowed, if you just go meet them back there, they'll take you aside and show you from the Bible how you can be sure you're going to heaven. But right now, the majority here have already done that at some time. What are you going to do this day? What are you going to do with this idea of praying? Praying more. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Doing what he wants. The second stanza of that song talks about where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. Whatsoever you shall ask, I will do. Alleluia. Alleluia. We have such a privilege to pray are you going to work on it more this week? What are you going to do? Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. You talk to the Lord. You tell the Lord. What